out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, always playing the finest in indie pop. We also love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the band titled Daniel Takes a Train. Because a few weeks, well, probably longer ago, I spoke to the main vocalist, Paul Baker, to find out more about life, love, poetry, all that other usual groovy stuff. Anyway, this is the interview, and after a bit of casual chat, we got down to the interesting point about the formation of the band and who was who. Well, I didn't know, you see, so I had to ask. Um, anyway, Paul explained everything, and this was his response. Paul, it's over to you. Uh, yeah, well, a co-songwriter, co yeah, the um, guitarist is Dan, and um, he would normally come to with, with a melody, um, and then I would um, turn the melody in, and write the lyrics and try and come up with a uh, you know, a concept with a, with a song and what have you. So we kind of worked together, really, I guess. And um, in those days, of course, we had no, no mobile phones, no sort of emails and things like that. So it was literally ring on the house phone, come over to my flat in Wapping and uh, strum away and uh, come up with some ideas and, and then go to um, band rehearsals. We had a, a coal cellar down in, uh, just just in toward, towards Chelsea. Um, and uh, we used to just sort of present ideas to the, the rest of the band and then and then put the songs together. So um, when I met Dan at um, a, a gig at the Marquee Club, you know, the famous Marquee yes. Club, we were just chatting away at the bar and, um, you know, just, he said he played guitar and I said I sing, sang and he he, uh, he he kind of said, well, you know, I'm thinking of forming a band. So we, we swapped numbers and, you know, that, that, that was the start of it, really. Fantastic. Was quite... that, was, that was almost like your Mick Jagger and Keith Richards moment, wasn't it? Meeting <laughs> on the train. Like that. Was, like that. So is it able to just kind of give us a bit of a, I suppose, the background? Because the band started in... 86 so was this is actually the beginning or did you have a few months or years before that um yeah i mean as we sort of dan and i sort of worked together and we um we kind of uh, our first drummer was actually a guy called john marsh who was in a band called the beloved yes so who went on to do do things and, and, and yes. successful in, in other forms so that was really good um, and we played at we, we, our first rehearsals at a place called Sleazy's in Wapping, which was <laughs> quite a strange place. But um, so Dan and I kind of um, worked together and, and, and came up with different ideas. And then the, we 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 can't, he, his um, one of the guys who was his flatmate worked with a bass player called Rupert, and we didn't know anyone else who played bass at the time, so he was in. Um, and then um, we put an ad in the Melody Maker for a drummer. And our bands that we enjoyed at the time were The Smiths, um, uh, The Star Council, and uh, Lloyd Cole and Commotions, just to, just as a few. And obviously there was Roddy Frame was one of my heroes, um, Edwin Collins, um, people like that. So the, we put the ad in that it just said, are you a drummer with style, charm, and commotion? With references <laughs> to The Star Council, Charming Man by The Smiths, and Lloyd Cole and Commotion. And uh, James, our drummer, responded to the ad, and so we had our lineup. So we had a, we were a four piece um, that we, we kind of were looking for a sound. And then Dan played this charming man down the phone to me, and I remember the, the goosebumps on my my arms and thinking, God, that that's a killer of a song. And it kind of almost shaped how we we we, we were all a jangly guitar band anyway. But we kind of I just like the the the, uh, the the whole sort of um, I don't I don't I suppose it was just the interesting and. and lyrics and the and the just the mystique about the smiths that sort of um you know gave gave them their own own sort of identity so um we, we that kind of i suppose shaped our sound and we we then obviously matured into more of the daniel takes a train sound we added a, a saxophone to uh to give it a, a you know it's a slightly different flavor uh, and we um, we recruited a, a, a the sax player from Helen and the Horns, a guy called Paul Davy, right? Um, who who we we went to see them play at a, a gig in New Cross, and and after the uh, gig, I kind of went over to him and said, like, you know, you wouldn't be interested in, you know, playing in another band as well. I obviously wasn't thinking that we were going to nab him completely, but I think it was at the um, stage when Helen and the Horns had sort of just about to sort of um, finish up anyway. So um, he joined us and. Um, and then we we did the circuit. We played, um, you know, the Astoria, Empire Leicester Square, Hammersmith Palais, Ronnie Scott's, 
um, some some really great venues, Mean Fiddler and um, Camden. So we played a lot of the kind of the mainstream venues in London, um, and just did everything we could really to to try and get the deal mm-hmm. um, to no avail. You know, we, uh, we, we we in those days there was, as I say, there was no Twitter and Facebook and everything. So you had to just literally um, go around the record companies and do everything you could to get a bit of publicity to to try and get you know to get your name elevated over the. The, the huge numbers of bands that were obviously all trying to make it in that that wonderful era. Yeah, because because talking to quite a few bands, quite a few um, bands from that sort of early mid eighties, most of the members were quite young, and most were sort of either unemployed or living in squats or claiming the enterprise allowance scheme. Yeah. So yeah. was was one of, was any of those three or all of those three? Did that apply to James, you? James was a milkman. Um, <laughs> on the milk milk round um, in uh, in Croydon, um, I think Dan was sort of. Uh, I think he was just working in a shop, in a clothes shop, just trying to, um, you know, make a living and earn a few quid and what have you. I think I just started as a sort of in an insurance company, which you know I didn't really enjoy. But um, having moved to London, I, I was sort of a, my parents ran a children's home down in Kent with seventy-two kids, so. I kind of grew, went up to London and just lived in a hostel and didn't really know anybody. So um, it was just sort of, you know, we were all starting out, if you like, trying to, to uh, you know, get make, you know, get a living, if you like. But we really, we were desperately keen to, to have a, a career in music and um, and, uh, and and try to write some songs that would be um, recognised by the record companies to give us the chance to go and record properly because it was quite expensive in those days. I mean, I. I found the old invoice for our, one of the sessions that we had at, at one of the studios. I think it was about four hundred and eighty-seven pounds, which, in the sort of early mid eighties, was um, probably probably ten times that now. I don't know, but um, it's probably a year's dull money actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's um, quite a lot yeah. of money. So obviously, you yeah. were you were all desperate as young people, des- you know, wanting to make the band work to to um, create your life and fame and fortune. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was all about the music, really, because we wanted, we wanted something that people, that people would listen to and people that that, that liked and everything. And we, you know, we we kind of a couple of fanzines that followed us. We, um, I mean, the the, the, the um, interesting things we would do just to desperately try. I mean, we played on every tube station on the Circle Line because we were called Daniel Takes a Train. I had this weird idea that that would be quite a a fun thing to try and get in the Guinness Book of Records to to play on every tube station. So, you know, you you, you we looked at sort of trying to do different things to to get us noticed um but really it was about you know practicing and getting the gigs because we we loved playing live that was that was our big thing um just really enjoyed the the buzz of a crowd that came to see us and we had a little bit of a cult following but um obviously trying to to get the breaks with the in the industry in those days you know you needed you needed to um have established yourself and uh you know um do everything you could to get the break, but we, you know, we went, we went had meetings at sort of several. I found out, I found my old file effects the other day. <laughs> can you can you believe it? With all the kind of appointments to sort of WEA and Sony and CBS, so we we, you know, we, we were we were really trying hard to, yes. to get to get the to get the break, um, because sometimes it's um it's not always a, sadly it's not always about the music. Sometimes it's about having the the business skills. We had no manager, so I, I kind of had to do what I could to try and just, um, you know, get our music heard by the people that could effectively give us the, the, the break and give us the chance to, to come out on vinyl, which is obviously what it was all about in those days. Yes, well, obviously, I sort of, I say obviously, um, but a lot of it for, for these indie bands, it, you know, because it's almost like the gatekeepers, you know, in, in all these mm. industries, like either DJs or the the music press. Um, and obviously, the one that was big, in fact, huge, was John Peel, because because daytime radio wasn't going to sort of pick up on most of these bands, so no. it was going to be John Peel or bust. And and I know yeah. quite a few bands from Norwich. It just never sort of happened, so they didn't really sort of play outside Norwich because actually no one would have known who they were unless they no. got heard on John Peel. And then then it, then you know the narrative would be you know John Peel you know play and then a bit of a sort of a John Peel session and that would sort of elevate bands or give them the opportunity to to play outside yeah. their sort of community of friends and family and you know come to Norwich yeah. Centre and places like that and then they they would at least get the album and then um, have a bit of glory before the second album yeah. which was always tricky so 
So with your story, it doesn't sound like it kind of managed to sort of take off beyond London at that stage. No, I mean, we, I mean, all our gigs were sort of London-based. I mean, it, it was difficult also because um, by that stage, sort of, you know, we, 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 you try for a while and then you, you kind of feel that like you've still got to pay your rent and you've got to, you know, we were in, in sort of shared flats and things like that. I was in a hostel when I first moved up to London. So, you know, you, you still had to pay your, your money. So you kind of had to sort of try and take a job on, if you like, to to uh, to kind of um, fund the rehearsal space and um, studio time and things like that. So it was difficult to kind of, um, I mean, I remember many a time, you know, rushing from work with a bag, um, sort of taking my, my my stage gear, if you like, in a, in a bag and changing in the toilets of a of a um, of a, a local sort of restaurant or something to just so I could get to the sound check on time, looking as um, you know as, as, as professional as I could if you like from from the band's perspective and um, you know you'd, you'd do everything you could to try to to, to kind of um, get somebody in that audience hopefully that would see you and spot you to um, you know to, to, to give you a, a record deal but um, yeah sadly it was it was only sort of London based although I think we had, we had a couple of universities we went to and, and polytechnics that were sort of on the outskirts of London but um you know, other than that, we, 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 we didn't really ever have anybody that spotted us or, or whatever that, that kind of said, you know, come and do a peel session or whatever. But um, Yes, that is true. We so did, did try. You, <laughs> yes, obviously. I think um, quite a few people sort of stood around at uh, the broadcasting house waiting for him to sort of appear yeah. so they could sort of give him a cassette to say, John, please have a listen. So, yeah, listen so did you them. manage to record much, you know, studio material in that period? Yeah, but I mean, I was looking back because obviously when we um, we, we got this sort of recent break, the the first thing we did is was look at all of the analog tapes and convert them to MP3s and and what have you. And, and I we found that we I think we did four or five actual recording sessions over those four year period, um, and we actually recorded a total of twenty songs um, that were obviously of recording quality to be able to be. Um, broadcastable or, or to go out on vinyl and um of those 20 songs there were there was you know probably i would say different different sessions we, we had slightly different sounds so the early days it was perhaps just the four of us without the without the sax and uh the the um the guitarist played trumpet as well so we added a bit of trumpet here and there um and the probably the latter the latter recordings were i would probably say you know had that extra sprinkle of the saxophone which gave it the sort of sound slightly different um from the early stuff so um yeah it was uh it was it was i mean i loved i loved being in the studio i mean i really found that uh, inspiring sort of you know having this this idea that you had as a song um that, that you know finally sort of saw the light of day and all the component parts that you sort of dreamt in your head with Putting on the, you know, the, 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 the perhaps the um, percussion or the keyboards or whatever to, to give the song a, a, a sort of a, a fuller sound. It was, um, you know, I, I, I used to sort of say, if for, for a guy, it's almost the, the, the only thing that I can kind of equate to giving birth. You have this embryo of an idea of a song, and then suddenly it, it, it reaches um, fruition, and you, you, you take home your cassette. Um, with a fully uh, fully completed track that you know you'd, you'd, you'd envisaged when you woke up in the night with an idea in your head or whatever. <laughs> yes. Well, no, absolutely. I mean, it must just feel... It was interesting talking to a few people who were producers. And I think there was a guy called John Parrish who's worked a lot with uh, PJ Harvey. And I think he started in a band, but then slowly found himself producing more and more because he just found that side... Um, kind of interesting and probably also pays the bills as well so did you so towards did the band then get to the late 80s because it was 87 you had your your gate crashing moment at the brit awards (laughs) which was obviously it was almost like is it damn but no bacon from chumbawamba did a similar thing a few decades later as well yeah with um prescott i think he threw water over so did you by then was it the case that the band were were sort of struggling to keep the enthusiasm going i think it was just we were looking at, at different ways of, of getting noticed because you know we, we, we'd done the nice gigs we played at some good venues and you know we, we thought to ourselves where would all of the music um press and all of the 
uh, the, the, the sort of big wigs, if you like, of the record labels all be at one place. And we suddenly thought, hang on a minute, the Brits. Um, so if we could just get in there, we can perhaps get our music out to more people. And, you know, in the, in the, in the world of um, publicity, sometimes it's, it's about trying to sort of just let people know that you're about. So we, um, we, I, I said to Rupert, who was the only one brave enough to come along with me, <laughs> and I, I said to him, like, you know, let's just dress up really smartly, look like we're, you know, either guests at the hotel or whatever. Um, we, we, we spent two or three nights burning off um, more, well, taking more and more cassettes ready, so that we, you know, we made some handmade made labels for the for the songs and what have you, and um, we took this uh, rucksack of about thirty cassettes. I then arranged to meet Rupert outside one of the tube stations near the Grosvenor House Hotel, which is where the um, the, the Brits were held in those days. And um, we then got hailed a taxi, literally about 500 yards from the venue. And I said to the taxi driver, just drop us right at the front door, which kind of almost, if you like, got us past the sort of crowds of people and the fans that were waiting outside. And the doorman let us in thinking we were... We were um, guests if you like of the hotel or part of the part of the brit awards anyway we then um found i think it was called the red bar and ordered a couple of uh um <laughs> cocktails or something to try and look like we were you know it, it, part of the scene and then we just had to wait our turn really and then uh, halfway through the evening i think meatloaf came out with a party and um then there was about 12 of them so i thought this looks like a huge party so if we just you know, mingle at the end of the party. We we might just get in. So that's what we did. Started chatting to a couple of um, the ladies at the at the end of the back of the queue, if you like, and uh, we we were in. And suddenly that we were there. We obviously had no seats because in those days it was a sort of sit down event. We had no seats at any tables, so we just literally had to work the room and and mingle around and and um, give our cassettes out to you know the the, the managers of the day. I mean, I think um, I think I, I had a chat with Muff Winwood. I had photos taken with people like Alison Moyet um the Christians were there um you know uh, the, 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 as many bands as we could really and and one of the DJs was Peter Powell from Radio 1 who obviously was quite influential so we gave him a, a cassette and amazingly the next day on Radio 1 he he said that the best part of the Brits was when this young band gate crashed their way past security and and gave out their cassettes but sadly <laughs> you know it did nothing came from, from it unfortunately but um it was certainly a um an interesting evening and um you know we've, we've got the photos which are you know are great memories of that night so um excellent That's but didn't give us a break though obviously yes. <laughs> and the, the plan was obviously to try and get noticed but i mean i think we got noticed but um <laughs> but possibly um, for, for the wrong reasons and not for our music, which oh. is a shame. So did you have a moment when you decided to call it a day? Yeah, I mean, uh, we, I mean we, we kind of thought we were... I, I genuinely thought we were just about ready, maybe, because people, when they, people think of these people as overnight successes, it never is. Um, you've normally been gigging for two or three years, and, and we'd been sort of together for four years, and um, we, we, we did a video. We, we managed to... Um, persuade two young filmmakers um one who's actually gone on to be a an editor at, in hollywood <laughs> so we were obviously a good inspiration from the early days um and we managed to go and film the, the video um, of our song i don't want this love in, in canvey island um so we shot the video and we were all excited because that went really well but they seemed to take um an age to get the video back to us with it with the editing so a couple of months went past and then dan the guitarist um, you can always blame girls, can't you? But he um, started going out with a, um, a Spanish girl. Um, so he decided that he would move to Barcelona. She had a job in Barcelona. Um, and effectively, being sort of the key main songwriter with myself, um, sort of meant that effectively we were without our main guitarist and our main songwriter. So things, we, we I think we kind of tried to do a little bit for a bit longer and... Uh, Pushed to push the music around a few, to a few more record companies and what have you, but we didn't didn't get the break. And uh, sadly, in '88, everyone got on with their lives. Um, I think for a period of time, I formed another band with the keyboard player, and uh, we called ourselves Don't Tell Dan. <laughs> in, a, in a sort of <laughs> a moment of uh, you know um, whatever, and and um, but again, nothing, nothing came of it really. And then really you know musically we just i think that different people have done different things with different bands but nothing of obviously any kind of real kind of commercial success as such um so 
you know, and then suddenly we, I think about a year ago, James decided that we would, um, we should put together, because I've always kept all of the flyers and all of the press cuttings and the photo shoots and everything. So he came around and he had a look at this, um, this um, folder, if you like, I've got of all this stuff. He said, this is great. We should, we should get this out on Facebook just for our friends and family and that just to prove that we did this. So um, he, he just um, set it all up and scanned some pictures and we put the only video we'd ever done on, on, the, on the page as well. And then amazingly, um, you know, I think if you've spoken to the Siddleys, you'd know about Fire Station Records. But amazingly, this, um, this uh, gentleman called Uwe Wigman, from, the founder from uh, Fire Station Records, contacted, contacted us, us on Facebook and said, you know, we love the song, we love the sound, we'd be interested in putting it on a compilation album, which to us was, was amazing because we'd never actually had any of our material, we'd never been signed, we had never any of our, any of our material um, um, put out, published or, or recorded uh, you know, in, in vinyl or CD format. So we were really excited by that. And then I just thought, well, I've got another 19 songs, why don't I have a word with him and see if he'd like to hear some others? And he was kind enough for me to send a few more tracks along and I sent two and then he said, these are great, you got any more? And I sent another two and, and by the end of uh, a week's conversations, on, uh, you know, I think I'd sent him all 20 songs and then we got a phone call, uh, sorry, we got an email from him saying, I've sent, um, I've had a chat with all the people at the label and uh, we're so impressed, we want to sign 17 of these songs and bring them out on vinyl and CD format. So, you know, I got up off the floor and uh, suddenly thought, my God, it's only taken 30 years, but suddenly we've got someone who wants to bring bring our music out, which is amazing. So, God, that is good. So these are the these are the original recordings that you did. Yeah. Only all, all the original all the original music from '84 to '88. Um, we uh, we basically had to transfer a lot of them to MP3 formats because. You know, the cassettes, obviously, not everyone's even got cassette players to play them on. So um, it was, um, you know, great to to dust them down and give them a give them a play. And what for, for, for quality purposes, we, you know, Uwe did say, could we get them sort of remastered so that the, the sound quality was as good as it can be? Because clearly, te- you know, technology in those days was not as, as strong as it is now. So um, we um, we did that and... Uh, our, our debut album, Style, Charm and Commotion, came out this month. So, um, and I'm reliably informed by the the, uh, the label that they've nearly sold out. So it's been, um, you know, there was a, a, a run of, of, of CDs and vinyl pressed. Um, so we're obviously at a stage now where, um, because of the success and the excitement that we've had from it, um, we've actually got our debut uh, single, what, which is called I Don't Want This Love, coming out this Friday. So um, finally, and it's going to come out on limited edition, a coloured vinyl. So that's exciting for, for us. My God, that's fantastic. I mean, you know, yeah. you can ask, well, you could have had the success 30 years ago, but <laughs> you can't. No, no, as I say, pity it wasn't 30 years ago, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, it's just lovely to have your music um being being played and, and 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 having people having a chance to listen to stuff that was just sort of dormant lying in cupboards and yes. not seeing the light of day and hopefully we can inspire a few people who who've picked up a guitar or some drums or a keyboard or whatever and uh to, to sort of dig out their old stuff and maybe get it online because who knows you know we're a living proof that that um that, that the, these things can happen um, we're, we're, you know, we're, uh, we're sitting here today and thinking to ourselves, we're probably the only 80s band that's actually playing new 80s music in 2018 that's, that was not heard, not been heard before, because a lot of bands obviously have had, um, you know, having, are doing their comebacks, but they tend to be playing a lot of the old stuff from the 80s that, that's already been, been yes. played. Yes, you know. well, we've, we're slightly... I suppose what's happened, from what I've noticed from doing these shows, is that a lot of bands have that kind of five-year narrative before they kind of... Yes. They think, no, actually, I've just had enough for various reasons. Either they still haven't really earned any money or they just actually really got fed mm. up with each other, so they've given it up. And then sort of 30 years later have come back together um, through various reasons, sometimes kind of, you know, just life and realising that... Um, yeah. 
yeah, somebody's died and they sort of met up again. At a few, <laughs> someone they met up met up at a funeral and thought, oh, actually, you know what? It's though though we used to find each other annoying. It's not that annoying now. So, yeah. And um and so they're playing a few of their kind of classic songs, but I've quite enjoyed going back and recording a few new sort of you know four track yeah. EPs. So that's yeah, we, that's we've, been we've nice. just been working on one of the songs that we never recorded back in the 80s but we always felt that it, it you know it was it was towards the end of just before we sort of split up so we've just been re-recording that one um or i say re-recording we've been rehearsing it because we've got we've got three gigs coming up which um the troubadour club sold out which is amazing really to, for an unsigned band to sell out um a month before the actual date so they, they the, the promoters then booked us for two nights later and we're we're pleased to say that it looks like we may have um, a special guest from from the era um, joining us, which would be which would be amazing. And then they've now booked us for a, a third date on the uh, that's on the ninth the ninth of September. And then we've got a third date on the Friday the twenty eighth of September. So um, you know, hopefully we'll get out to some other other venues in in other parts of the country this time, and uh, you know, have a chance. But I, I genuinely think that um, there, there feels like there's almost like a beginning of a new scene in terms of. I think a lot of people are. Uh, you know, um, conscious of the fact that the, the, the music today that's played on the radios is is sort of missing that that sort of element of of, of you know good melody, good hooks, good good guitar, good lyrics, um, and and I genuinely feel that there's a you know a genuine interest in in this sort of sound, the northern sound maybe. So maybe we're a London band with the jangdi uh, jangdi guitar sound that um, you know that, that can help. Get this uh, this this sort of um, sound back back in mainstream or or back at least um, in, uh, in in popular culture. Yeah. And um, is this with the original band? And what happened to Dan? Dan is back. Is he back? <laughs> I think I think I think Barcelona was a fairly short-lived uh, oh, right. experience. But um, so he he's back now. He's um he's sort of um he's back in he's London. Actually, he, yeah, he's back in London, and he's um. He's sort of teaching at you know at universities and things like that. So um, he he's back there. We've actually got all the original members back, which is amazing. Uh, we had a rehearsal last night, and um, the bass player lives in Nottingham, so he's come down from Nottingham. Um, we've got uh, James is no longer doing the milk rounds. He's uh, he's sort of working in IT. He lives over in um, a place called Beckenham. Um, so we, we, we luckily we've got sort of three three four of us that are sort of london and southeast based and um and the uh bass player is in nottingham so we're all you know all still friends amazingly we've not fallen out maybe the the fact that we didn't have a musical career means that we're you know we've retained our friendships and uh and and um still yes. still speaking still 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 on speaking terms which is great um but the uh the, the lovely thing is is that you know finally we've got this amazing album style charm and commotion and a single coming out and a sellout gig at the troubadour and and more gigs to follow and um you know it's it's really exciting to to be doing what we've we've always loved and we've always dreamt of doing and that's you know producing hopefully good sort of indie type music and and um you know stuff that people perhaps uh will finally get a chance to hear which is yes. which is great and do you and did you also get in touch with because i was looking at your lineup back in those days you had bert Routledge on keyboards and emma gray on backing vocals are they still around on the scene or Bert was with me last night yeah but Bert, Bert's still keep doing the keyboard he's a london cabbie now believe it or not so he uh he, he finished his cabbie run yesterday and then met us in new cross at the rehearsal rooms um and emma is coming up she lives in devon now um, but she's coming up um, and she's doing the Troubadour gig with us, which is which is fantastic. So we've got all the seven original members of the band that will be performing at the Troubadour Club on the 7th for our launch party, which is a, a showcase of the album, So, which is the one that sold out. So um, it's it's really great to, to feel that you, you know, that you started this journey as a seven, seven, seven guys and girls, if you like, uh, with a dream. And, and 30 years later, we're we're now um, fulfilling that dream at least um, by having a chance to play live and actually, you know, the, the sort of announcing that we've got our debut album out and our debut single, um, you know, is, is is sort of you know what every band I suppose aspires to do when they set out. So yes. 
it may have taken a little longer than most, <laughs> um, but uh, but you know we finally the train has finally pulled into the station. I guess is the is the, um, the expression we might use. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Great, yes, because it does sound very much like sort of one of those Richard Curtis kind of kind of rom com sort of like slightly poignant sort of comedy dramas. You know, with a band who sort of have got back because yeah. it must be strange. Thirty years. I know when I've met up with people that I knew back in those very early days it is a little bit you spend a little bit of time having internal dialogue about and hopefully not not moving your lips at the same time thinking god 30 years and my goodness i know know. what's going on well well, i mean someone said that you know you're really boy band to dad band (laughs) (laughs) obviously between the rehearsals dan's got to go and pick his his you know um pick the kids up and then you know someone's got to pick some of the one of the kids up from the sleepovers and so it's it's it is quite funny really that that we've just sort of got on with life i mean that, that i think that's what makes the story quite nice in the sense that you know we we we've um we've just basically all had normal lives and got on with things but now we're we're sort of thrust into the the excitement and the buzz of of playing gigs and having a, an album to promote and a single a debut single all while we're sort of in our don't dare i say it, in our mid 50s and um perhaps not looking quite the same way that we did on the front covers of those albums and <laughs> with a few more gray hairs and a few more waistband sizes and the on the jeans but but it's um you know I, th- I think somebody was just saying i'm telling you now this will be made a film which you know who knows but that, that uh people might might be inspired to to sort of think that there's um something of interest there that that you know, a band that tried so hard, um, you know, never who never got the break, uh, are finally thirty years on, um, you know, have a chance to at least get their music out there, which is obviously what every credible musician wants. And when you sort of, because one thing I hadn't really appreciated that much, as we don't really appreciate success, but bands like you two, who sort of obviously, you know, created a sound which was kind of okay, it wasn't particularly special when they first started, but they kept persevering and bringing out albums and then just getting bigger and bigger, and then keeping it on the show, you know, keeping the show on the road and sorting out their business side, which obviously a lot of bands don't, so they get fed up with that. Then there has the dynamic amongst the four of them, but they, they did sort of see the big picture and keep going. Did you, when you look at other bands, obviously most do split up like the Smiths and mm. various other bands just get fed up and disappear, you know, with a little bit of a grumble at each other. So do you, yeah. do you sort of look at, you know, like the U2s and possibly Sting and people like that and think, God, they managed to sort of navigate those choppy waters remarkably well? Yeah, you know, you've got to admire people because I think there's probably some amazing music that's just sitting in, in cupboards and, and drawers that, from bands that didn't have the business acumen, should I say that, or didn't have the uh, maybe good management. I mean, we, we've we've now got a manager, which is which is great. I mean, we were just saying that if only we'd had the um, our, our manager with us 30 years ago, we may well have, because I think we were, you know, we were quite smart in terms of trying to to use the PR to get us, you know, to, to get us the breaks. But um, it, it, you know, some, sometimes it, it should be about the music. But you know as well as I do that there's. There's some amazing songs and some probably some amazing bands. I mean, I, I was listening to the Railway Children. I think they're a band that you've, you've yes. featured yourself, and I just love that sound. And um, they should have been so much bigger. And uh, you know, there, there, there was there was um, even the Lotus Eaters. I used to really like them, and there was some really kind of great bands that never really got the critical acclaim, and and musically probably wrote better stuff than some bands that have made it. But probably the bands that have made it as you say, have managed to navigate the choppy waters and, you know, have a, an astute manager who guides them and, and gets them on the right shows or whatever. So I think there's 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 so much to be said, um, and it shouldn't be, it should be about the music, but the, the sad thing is is that there's a lot of bands out there that that probably have got a classic album just sitting in a, in a cupboard or a drawer yes. that's never seen the light of day, and that's the saddest thing. And obviously, I probably like you, um, David, you know, love unearthing um, bands that I'd, I'd never heard of before, and, and finding magic tracks that that go straight on my, you know, on my top list of, of music that I want to play. Um, and uh, you know, there, there, there are some some bands. I mean, I, you know, I was listening. There's, there's a band called The Bridge who I really found some of their music, and they, they we actually played together with them at the Embassy Club in 1986 or 87, I think it was. And and I've recently discovered they've they've had a couple of albums out. 
and there's another band called Harrison that I used to really love. Um, so you, you, you know, it's it's great when you find music that you can relate to, um, and that especially you know that that was sort of meant something to you in terms of the, you know, had, brings back memories from that era, from that, that you know when you were growing up and what have you, uh, and and so consequently, um, hopefully uh, there'll be more bands that that. that have the chance to bring out stuff that may be 30 years old, maybe 35 years old or whatever that, that we, um, we get to hear because, um, you know, it, it, it's probably sitting there somewhere and, and just, you know, these bands haven't had the breaks or the luck or, or, or had the chance, but, um, you know, get, get your music out there on Facebook and who knows? Yes. Well, it's <laughs> it kind of strange because, because in those days, it, you know, like I was the John Peel NME sort of person who consumed it. Yeah, so that was the only, yeah. they were the only kind of gate, I suppose, you know, places to go beyond that yeah. was difficult. Whereas now it's kind of all out there and accessible, but then you don't know, you can't spend all day, you know, even if you wanted no, to listen. So there's too much. So, you, there's too much. so you kind of need go. somebody that you trust, but obviously that yeah. person like John Peel, you know, he probably didn't realize or he might have realized the importance of him because his show because because that was the platform i mean trying to sort of work out if an nme journalist kind of liked a band that you would also like and you know i was often you know took a punt on something they rated and went oh god that's awful i wish i hadn't bothered yeah. that and it was also sometimes really difficult to track singles down and albums because you know it, some of them were so obscure and stuff like that. So, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a tricky one because now we look back and it's like, oh, yeah, that was fantastic. And there was so much good music, but but it was hard to get. And, and some of it, like your band, you know, just didn't get the kind of slight break that you just needed at that right time no. to give you that sort no. of that, that next kind of, I suppose it's almost like a board game that you can go from, you know, the single to the John Peel session and then yeah. you get yeah. that next bit of exposure and then you can get around the country. Because it's interesting that Fire Station Records have taken over. It's almost like Cherry Red have, turned, you know, done a really good job hoovering up yeah. a lot of these labels and putting out compilations. But then there's a lot of other bands who they haven't. And so there was like the band from uh, the Nivens from, from Northumberland, who um who were fantastic and I had to very Yeah, no, I've listened to their stuff. Yeah, yes, and, and again they, they got sort of signed up by Fire Station as well as the Sidleys and people like that and the Bow teams. So it is great that there are these Both kind lobsters. of these yeah. slightly crazed people around the especially in Germany, you know, thankfully, um who who are sort of putting these compilations together and who obviously love the music. And it must yeah. have been so when you were listening, you know, back to that, because obviously you probably probably weren't listened to all the time, probably went for years, if not decades, not listening to the music you made. Did it feel like a strange emotional journey definitely i mean you know there, there were some of the songs that you know you hadn't really played for years and years and years and you, you suddenly thought god that's actually not as not as bad as i kind of remember it you know it, 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 i don't almost it sort of the nice thing is it feels like this, the tracks have stood the test of time which i suppose when you record them as a sort of a young 20 year old or whatever um you, you know you don't really know whether your music's going to be liked or whatever but the nice thing for us is that We've had so many lovely comments on Facebook, you know, and, um, you know, from I think there was a comment from a band called The Lover Speaks who had a, a couple of hits and they were sort of saying, this is, you know, this is, I can't understand why this wasn't signed. This is a classic. And you're thinking, you know, people giving us, you know, really good comments and sort of, you know, giving us encouragement, if you like, to to think that, um, you know, we were described as a cross between, you, sh you sound like the Smiths meets the go-betweens, I think, you know, and you're thinking, right, these are bands that I I loved. So, yes. um, it, you know, it's, it's nice to have that kind of credible element to it as well, rather than just sort of, you know, bringing music out that you liked. It's nice when other people appreciate it and feel... You know, I think somebody else said that, you know, some of our, I think it was a song one that we got called Wonderland, they said this could have been any of the Smith classics from the late 80s. And you're thinking, God, you know, to even be mentioned in the same breath as the, the heroes that we had of the Smiths, who were the, the band that sort of inspired us. You know, one of my most prized possessions is is a signed set list from all four of the Smiths at the uh, the closing of the Great London Council in London. And I think it was 84. And I, I've got that as pride of place in my uh, in my main room. Um, with all four members signed it. So, uh, you know, to, to sort of be even classed or not even to be even mentioned in the in the same breath as them, you know, uh, is, is, um, is, is a wonderful feeling. So, yes. um, uh, you know, hopefully um, 
if we go on to have <laughs> even one hit would be amazing. So, um, you know, we obviously appreciate that we got, you know, we've been very humbled by the, the response we've had. We've had such good feedback and such good, um, you know, press. I think we were on page three of the Times, three quarters of a page. I mean, you know, to, to sort of have that sort of exposure to at least get your name out there, um, which is, you know, in order to have success, you need need people to know about you. It's, yes. all, it's, lovely, it's lovely to have great music, but if people don't know about you, so hopefully we are putting the business head on, if you like, now to try and maximise the chance that we have to to get our music out there and for people to find out about us and, um, you know, uh, hopefully um, give people a chance to listen to, to the songs that we, we lovingly, um, I don't know, put together all those decades ago, three decades ago. Yes, and what would you... We'd probably change a few bits now, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say, you know, with your kind of experience and wisdom, what would you say to your 18-year-old self? Um, I would I would probably say that, that you know, you, you weren't far off what you were doing that was wrong. and I, But I, I think I'd probably just say just keep trying. I mean, I think we probably, when Dan went, that probably kind of was the, the, the thought, you know, that we will... You know he's the main songwriter, but now now knowing what I know now, you know I would have probably had to step up to the plate and and we've had to find another guitarist. But I think I could have probably taken that same sound and and kept going. And I just wish that we'd given it another you know, maybe another six months, another year, because I think from from what you know from what we're hearing now, we we kind of almost feel we were very very close. Um, and. But so I think the perseverance would be my first thing. Resilience, tough mindedness, just, you know, you've got to be very thick skinned. I've learned this industry is very fickle and I've learned that, um, you know, it's not always the best music that gets noticed. It's about being brave enough and strong enough to, to be fearless and not be frightened of rejection. And I think, you know, for every knockback, I mean, I think somebody once said to me, every no is one step closer to a yes. And I think if you take that mantle and you think to yourself, you know, I'm just going to be, if I believe in what I'm doing, I'm I'm not going to rest until I've at least got the music out there to a point where, you know, it can be, it can be heard because, um, it, you know, if you've, you've taken the trouble to, to, to be in a band and, and write good music, then you you don't want it just lying dormant in in your flat. You want it, you know. You want to get it out. You want to be playing that music live. You want to be um, giving people that opportunity. So, I think perhaps, although I've um, been been quite determined and quite thick-skinned in in my life in other aspects, I think perhaps then um, the, the sort of with the guitarist going, it, it, you know, it was like you're losing your right arm really. And I I think probably. I should have thought to myself, well, let's get a, a new arm replacement or whatever <laughs> and, and fi- fi- find someone who can replicate that or, or even add something, a new dynamic because we may have found a new guitarist that brought a different dynamic and that might have been the, that might have been the, uh, the missing link, if you like. We might have had to change the name from Daniel takes a train to somebody <laughs> else takes a train, but, <laughs> but um, we'd have had a bit of fun with it. So I think, yeah, keep, keep going, never give up. And, you know, um, if you believe in something enough, then uh, don't be frightened. Just you know, let let people know that uh, you know you're, you're not going away. And does that mean <laughs> be that a you're, nuisance? <laughs> yes. And does that mean you're going to record new material? Yeah, yeah. We've already. Um, I'm funnily enough. I'm actually round Dan's house tomorrow um, afternoon, working on. We've actually been working on three new songs and one, um, which has uh, been inspired literally from listening to, you know, sort of different sounds and different music and what have you so we're sort of retaining that sort of 80s feel but with a, a 2018 flavor and, and and hopefully with our life experience and our maturity if you like as, as songwriters um we can we can add a new dynamic and um you know get music out there that that is um you know has a flavor of the era that we loved but maybe has a slightly different modern day twist and uh and and that we'll, we'll potentially be able to you know, we'd, we'd love to be able to record a second album. That's the dream, yes. you know, because obviously at the moment we're promoting the songs that we, we so lovingly crafted 30 years ago. But, um, you know, as, as every progressive musician, you know, want, they want to be working on new stuff all the time. So as much as we all love playing our, our old songs at gigs, they are songs that we wrote 
30 years ago. So they would probably, you know, there would probably be more excitement, if you like, about um, playing and recording stuff, new material that we've written. So that's the aim is to have some success with this album, try and, you know, try and um, emulate our heroes by, you know, having a, having a, a at least a, a song that, that potentially, um, I mean, you know, the chance, obviously, everyone has different opinions, but it would be quite nice to have some sort of success as a, because I think some success gives you platforms, um, and, you know, and if, if you're, if you have success um, in those formats, then suddenly you find that you, when you go on a, a tour or a, or a whatever you you know you get pushed up the bill so um you know it, it it's it's a, a chance if you like to to get more people to hear you Excellent. if you're the last band on on a long long evening you know <laughs> the crowd might have diminished by the time you finally get on stage so um <laughs> or, or the or should i say at the beginning of the evening you know then the people are still arriving so i think you know we just we just want to play our music and and enjoy the chance that we've been given now to uh, to kind of um, let people hear the music of Daniel Takes a Train, which is which is great. Yes, well, I'm you know I'm just so impressed and and so pleased that you managed to sort of yes come that far you know in thirty years and and sort of mm. a you've got the material and also it's just great that there's a compilation that's come out and also the you know it's going to obviously to give you that sort of little lift and sort of uh, push for the next kind of little stage which can yeah I mean just seeing your name just seeing your name on an LP you know in and vinyl and 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 just be able to. You know, I was all excited yesterday because we had the rehearsals, and obviously with all the band members there, we were all kind of getting the uh, getting, getting the, the the LPs and the CDs out and getting each of us to sort of sign it. So we had that sort of <laughs> memento, if you like, of uh, of us all having a signed album by ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds quite, slightly strange, really, but it's um, you know after 30 year wait, I think we we owe ourselves that that sort of self indulgence to to kind of have that one memento that um, that you know that we were all part of and that we all. You know, it's almost like building a house together, isn't it? You, you know, you finally you get the keys to the front door, and you, you know, you're over the threshold, and you're thinking, let's open the champers, and you know, and 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 that the celebration will be those gigs that we're doing because, you know, the the fact that that, that you know that they sold out will be will be really lovely to to play to an audience that want to see us rather than perhaps in the 80s we may have been second or third or fourth on the bill, and they've been to see someone else and they just happen to have heard us, so. Yes. It's nice to finally get that that recognition and that um, you know that kind of uh, um, you know that that feeling that people actually want to come and see you. So um, you know, without without any arrogance, there we're very humbled by the whole the whole experience, and uh, it's just it's just lovely to it, and and that's it's just a joyous celebration. It just it's a feel good story that you know that, that 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 has a happy ending hopefully and continues to have more happy endings in terms of the you know the the, the chance for us to do future music and. And do what we love. Yes, and your kids must be really confused, mustn't they? Well, I think everybody <laughs> in, in, in the band. We've got so many different. Um, you know, I think the, the Dan keeps saying that his um, his son's a bit was a bit embarrassed at first, but then <laughs> now since we've been starting doing well, he's actually cutting out the press cuttings. I think he's going to be the press officer. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's funny how people uh, people change in terms of. Um, you know, when they suddenly, it's a bit embarrassing at first, but then suddenly you, you're seeing dad on the telly and you're thinking, you know, you're going to school and people are saying, oh, I saw your dad on the telly. And <laughs> it sort of actually makes them feel a bit prouder, I think. So, um, yeah, we can't complain. Can't well, complain. they probably just think you've gone a bit mad when you keep on about being in a band in the 80s. They probably, I know, probably, they probably thought, God, this is this is what old age and dementia sounds <laughs> like. People feel like, feel like saying, grow up and get a proper job. But, you yes. know, hey-ho, we're, we're all kids at heart, aren't we, really? So. Yes. Well, they probably just think yeah. there's like, early signs of dementia, wasn't they, sort of thinking, <laughs> when they hear, you know, yes, you were in a band, yes, yes, you did an album, you know. You yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, no, look, I'm really in a band, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Dad's no. really, dad's really lost it this time, mum. <laughs> yeah, no, it, but, it, it's great, and I think, you know, just that rehearsal last night, we, we, you know, we, we, we sort of finished, finally finished, finished packing up about 11 o'clock, but we were standing outside the cars chatting away, and, you know, hadn't seen Bert, the keyboard player, for a while, and we were reminiscing about gigs, and things in the old days and everything obviously we've been we've been in touch from you know on and off um but it's uh it was i think we finally got away about half 12 at night <laughs> trying to trying to find a, a 24 hour place to go and get a get a bit bite to eat but um you know it was it was just it, it's lovely and it, it it feels like we've been given a a new lease of life and and you know an injection of energy 
um, that, that kind of uh, allows us to actually, it's amazing, actually, it allows you to be more creative because I, I found myself waking up the other day literally with a song in my head and I was sort of 7.30 in the morning, I was down there with a piece of paper in my, and, and my notebook and uh, writing away lyrics and literally sang, sang the, the tune down the phone to myself and, and then forwarded it over to Dan and Dan said, love it, um, come over on Wednesday. So tomorrow I'm over there and we're going to demo it. So... You know, mm. we do feel like eighteen-year-olds again. I think so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. But yeah, but that's but that's what music should be about. Music should be about inspiration. It should be about thinking. You know, just throwing caution to the wind and and not not being being not being frightened of whether somebody likes something or not. But if it if it feels right, and you know, and to, to, to Dan's Dan's a hard man to impress. So with the fact that he, he he's liked what I've written um, and he's prepared to see me, you know, within 24 hours and you know, it, it wasn't always that easy. You know, it, some of the songs I perhaps pushed over to him, he was, oh, no, I don't like that. That's, that's too, too, too twee or whatever. So um, this this particular one, um, it, it kind of it, it, I, I kind of think it feels a bit early Smith, if I'm honest. So, you know, maybe maybe um, we'll, we'll, we'll get that one to to light at some point um excellent uh, i think if you hear if you hear a song called stranger things have happened um suddenly being released in a in a year's time you'll know that that was the one that i ran down at seven thirty in the morning to write down so <laughs> oh that's great well and that sadly dear listener is the end of the interview that was paul baker the vocalist with Daniel takes a train. If you want to find out any more information, they are around on the world. That is Facebook. And also they have a website, danieltakesatrain.com. And also Instagram. Check them out. Anyway, this has been David Eastall. If you want to contact me, we'd love your messages. You can on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do at C86show. And also all these uh, shows have been archived. And you can find those. Find those on uh, Spotify, iTunes and Pod. Been. So there you go. Check it out. Anyway, have a great week.